listening to the Soil Talk podcast. I am your host, Tim Mundorf, Nutrient Management Lead with Central Valley Ag. In Soil Talk, we will dive into managing soil fertility and applied nutrients while pursuing top yield. So, Mick, we've covered a lot of things on soil fertility. You know, we've talked about individual nutrients. We've talked a little bit about uh, oh, different fertility programs, how we make our recommendations, things like that. You know, we've got those innovation uh, sites coming up here before too long in August. Uh, maybe we talk a little bit about what we've got going on in the innovation sites and maybe talk a little bit particular to each plot, you know, what the fertility is in that plot and kind of what our mindset is and how we uh, go about addressing, you know, the plant's needs and how we can maximize yield while minimizing, you know, maybe some nutrients that we don't need. And then tie that into what you're doing on those plots as well. So some of our listeners, you know, if they're interested, may want to come and visit the plots while we're having our innovation events. Absolutely, Tim. Those innovation events are August 13th in Cuba, Kansas, August 15th in Norfolk, Nebraska, and then August 20th in Polk, Nebraska. So when we think about the fertility of those plots, and, and it's three uh, fairly different environments. I mean, uh, Cuba, Kansas is dry land, and of course we're in north central Kansas there. Kind of a tough environment sometimes. You can get some hot weather down in that area. Uh, Polk, Nebraska is some pretty flat ground in, in uh, central Nebraska, under irrigation, some pretty productive ground. But in this case, it's ground that we just picked up, so the fertility is a little questionable, right? That fertility at Polk's not as desirable as it is at the other two locations. Uh, but it is, you know, that is what it is, and it's something we can work with and, and see some benefit from. Uh, and it'll actually give us another opportunity to look at our fertility trials. Yeah. And now Norfolk, it's got good fertility. It's a little... You know, it's kind of a flat area, but got some hillsides uh, going away from it, not so much where our plots are at. Under irrigation, again, so it's got great yield potential. But this year in northeast Nebraska, the water's just been horrible. We've had way too much of it. And that's been the case in that plot, right? So, Tim, we all remember March, and March 13th sticks out in all of our minds when we had the rain and the frost coming out of the ground and the flooding that followed and that plot had a lot of water sitting across it. I would say that most of the plot was underwater and there were areas of that plot that had three to five feet of water on it. And you uh, you got to plant the soybeans in that plot twice, right? Yeah, I absolutely did. Uh, you helped me, We've, we planted the first soybeans there on May 20th, which was the first window of opportunity that we had to plant. We planted the corn on the 18th of May and, and came back on the 20th to plant beans. And of course we got rain after that and, and had beans cracking the so soil surface and underwater, sitting underwater again. And so the first opportunity that we had to come back and replant beans was July 1st. It's part of these plots to be r real to life or real wor real world and we certainly are going to have that at that plot location in Norfolk. Let's kind of walk our listeners through the fertility of those plots a little bit. So we know that uh, Cuba's got high fertility. Again, it's a dry land environment, probably 170 bushel corn would be a pretty good number to shoot for. That'd be a good year there. 170 to 175 is, is our typical there. We've had that location for quite a few years. We've, we've learned to manage and we manage it for about 170 bushel corn. Uh, this year with the environment that we've seen in, 
in north central Kansas with a lot of rain. I actually bumped my yield goal up to 200 bushel and, and I don't think I'll have a problem hitting it with the amount of moisture we have. And I'm looking at the base fertility here in front of me. We've got a pH of 6.2, so that's about where we'd like to be for a corn-soybean rotation. I mean, it might be kind of starting to get low, but really it's a pretty good place to be. we got phosphorus values at 50 part per million. We've got potassium at 350 part per million. We've got zinc over 3 part per million, 3% organic matter. I mean, from a fertility standpoint, those are pretty good plots. And typically, I think a lot of guys would say you just don't need a whole lot there. I mean, even even crop removal, I'd be questioning whether I'd put full crop removal on that one. Right. And and that's a field that's in our zone system and we use our zoning system there and, and certainly not every zone is that high, but uh, we've gotten some good responses out of using our zone systems there. In that Norfolk site, we're again around 3% organic matter. pH is right at neutral, right at seven. Uh, our uh, phosphorus average, and like you said, a good point is we grid sampled in this case. So we've got the ability to see highs and lows. The, the average phosphorus, though, is uh, nearly 40 part per million. The average potassium is over 400. The average zinc's over 3 part per million. So, again, a lot of guys would say, hey, you just don't need fertilizer there, so why even bother with a fertility trial? You know, in Norfolk site was a, a classic example of what we saw last year in our fertility trials. You know, we we wanted to test some some fertility products, and uh, so last year was our first year of doing that at the innovation sites, and and we utilize a four row strip till unit to do that, and it just gives us a way of getting that fertilizer in a contained area. We Otherwise, we'd have no way of testing fertilizer in these small strip trials. And we actually saw some tremendous responses to fertilizer last year. Another surprise to me was a lot of times as we talk about um, starter fertilizer, a guy will say, well, starter fertilizer works good in a low fertility environment, but when you get your fertility right, you really don't need starter anymore. And that is not what we saw last year in our trials. And that was the case in both corn and soybeans. And a lot of guys don't think about starter and soybeans and we had really good luck with our begin starter in our soybeans last year. Yes we did. Uh, begin on soybeans gave us a tremendous response at that three gallon rate across all three locations and uh, you know a lot of guys don't think about starters and soybeans like you said earlier and uh, the begin in furrow with the with the soybeans gave us some great data. So Mick, as we talk about the fertility trials we ran last year, um, what were those different trials? I mean, what, what, what did we have out there? So we had just straight map. We had Micro Essentials SZ. We had a map blend to, to match up to that Micro Essentials SZ. Uh, we had corn mix, and then we had SO4 product, and a zinc, well, a zinc LS, which is is similar to that corn mix, but it's a zinc-based product. Sure. So the SO4 product, of course, is uh, pelletized gypsum. Not, it's a good, high-quality pelletized gypsum. I, I know sometimes calcium products gives me a hard time because I'll refer to their products as pelletized gypsum and pell lime, and I, I know they have a they've branded them for a reason. They've got a high quality product out there, but of course that gypsum is going to give us some calcium, going to give us some sulfur. Uh, that corn mix LS, the LS is a lignosulfate and we've got a, a mix of micronutrients going in there. Is that right? Correct. That corn mix LS is it's, they use lignosulfonate for a, a binding product and they also make a uniform prill out of it 
so that every prill has the same amount of nutrients in it. And it's got zinc, uh, manganese, boron, a little bit of boron, and a little bit of sulfur in that, in that prill. And, you know, that's a challenge as we talk about uh, micronutrients. And I know we've talked about micronutrients some in the past, but delivery is always difficult. You know, when you're talking about something like boron or manganese, where you're just trying to put down, uh, you know, maybe a pound of actual nutrient. Maybe you're using, a, you know, say a 30% product. So it's three pounds of product. Well, evenly applying three pounds of a, a prill or granular type product is very difficult. So that's one thing they do is they'll, they'll use something else's kind of maybe the base maybe something like uh, like calcium sulfate or whatever uh, mez is another great example where, where they've built a prill that's got sulfur zinc and of course your your base phosphorus product that you've got to put out there at a large rate and that allows you to apply just a little bit of micronutrient uh, in these prills and then spread a large amount of prills across a wide area and get nutrients to each individual plant. And, and that just helps us with that dispersion of those, even dispersion of those granules. granules. If we go back to a, a zinc sulfate product and you're applying six pounds of zinc, a prill two foot apart or further is about what you get. And so these uniform prills do help us a lot in that. And you know, I look at our results from last year and, and we got some great responses. I mean, across the entire innovation site, um, you're looking at anywhere from a, a low of seven bushels of corn um, for even the lowest, like just your straight map, to as high as uh, 15 bushels of corn. And, and we've always liked MEZ here at CVA, but it kind of reiterated uh, how good that product works for us. Definitely. And uh, you know, and having it in three environments last year, uh, in three environments this year, it gives us a good good indication of, hey, you know, for, fertility was pretty high in those plots last year, and we still saw those kind of responses. Now we this year we're lucky enough to have a site that doesn't have a base fertility so high. So what are what kind of of yield differences are we going to see in that? Yeah, and that's a good point as we talk, we didn't talk about the Polk site this year, but uh, Polk, Nebraska, just a little bit north and west of York, we've got a site there and its fertility from a phosphorus standpoint, I think our average phosphorus values in maybe the mid-teens, we had a lot of single digits. You know, as you grid sample, you see that variation. Of course, we saw some areas that probably were old building sites that might have been in the 50s. But the majority of the area where we have our plots is single-digit phosphorus. Potassiums are pretty good there. If I remember right, we're somewhere in that... 300 range. Uh, pH was a little lower. I want to say we were averaging more like around a 5.9, something that should be lime. And I know, you know, for, for our plots that weren't fertility, it, you, like any good agronomist, would applied some map out there to kind of get some phosphorus in there. But for our fertility plots, we're actually going to show what some of these fertility products will do in a low fertility environment as opposed to what we did last year. Right, Tim. So we went out with a dry, sp dry spreader and put 150 pounds of MESZ across everything except for where those fertility trials are and yes that's difficult to do and it's time consuming but we took the time so we can just isolate that response of what fertility practices we're putting on this year. 
and especially in what looks to be a high yield environment. That plot looks really good. I mean, we're recording this thing uh, the third week of July, so our innovation plots are just around the corner for us. And we were out there uh, last week looking at them, and they look really good. It's looking very promising. Uh, you know, two weeks ago when I looked at it, uh, I was real, really concerned with the, the root development. Uh, the dry weather that we've had these last two weeks has really helped that root development take off and, and reach a little deeper for some water, uh, giving us a little bit wet, better root development so we don't have to worry about wind events later in the season. So, And another thing that we sometimes don't talk about is we're not just working corn here. We're working corn and soybeans, and so many people treat their soybeans like the redhead stepchild, and it gets whatever the corn doesn't take. You know, it's like the little kid at the end of the table as the plates are getting passed around, and, and the plate gets past all of his big brothers and sisters, and there he sits and goes, wow, there's nothing left. Well, that's kind of the way we treat soybeans. Uh, here, you're doing your full fertility trials in soybeans as well, and, and we see good response to those. You know, last year's data gave us some good responses, and and maybe will help change that mindset of the grower that, hey, you know, if I spend a little money on the soybeans, I can get a good return on investment and come back and, and actually take care of that crop a little bit better. And this year, you know, I was looking across the, the different products that we're looking at, and a lot of it is, and, and we've talked about this, Mick, you need multiple years of data when you do when you do these trials once, and, and you replicate your trials as well. So it's not just one plot. We replicate the trials. We've got multiple years of data. We've got it across multiple environments, you know, northern Kansas versus Norfolk, Nebraska versus, you know, the York area. Those are three different environments. But I look across our products. We're doing MAP and MES and the Corn Mix LS again, but we've also got a new product called the Terranu, which is uh, completely different than what we normally deal with. It's a digested dairy manure that then they uh, uh, work in some uh, some nutrient products as well, like some micronutrients in this case, but also they'll work in some uh, some like MAP. So it brings up the fertility value of manure, but brings the biological aspect and the humic aspect of some of your manure products in there. We've also got uh, MicroSync, which I believe is a Rhodesian product of micronutrients. Correct. And then we've got our SO4 again, and we've had great luck with sulfur in the past is through the SO4 product. Definitely. And, you know, these products, how did we decide, you know, we sit down at these planning sessions for these plots and we have hundreds of ideas. And unfortunately, if we want replication at these, we're down to 36 different passes with the planner and we do everything in eight rows to match up to our planner and so you have 36 trials that you can start with well some of these trials take up uh, five to six passes with the planner to get that that trial so you have to start whittling away and and what can we help our growers produce more with with less or get a better return on investment with so uh, it's a lot of work to come up with these ideas and, and whittle that list down to where we need to be. Right. And these aren't just a show trial. It's not just for an innovation day where a grower comes out and we say, here's what we're doing. And maybe you see a visual difference. As you and I both know, there's a lot of times you can get big 10, 15, 20 bushel differences that you don't see anything visual from the outside. But it's not just a show plot. You take these to yield, you gather the data, and every year you put a booklet of your results together. And you, you've got those booklets for years past. So this is this is a resource for our growers. Definitely. And you know, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's real work, 
real to life things that are going on in these pots. We, we don't manicure them. We don't treat them any different than what the grower is. We want to see what this product would do in a grower's field and exactly what we're doing. Yes, we have alleyways. Yes, we have, uh, we have a plot day there, but the, the whole idea is to show them what, what we're seeing at that point in time and then remind them again what they saw in season versus the results and do, do those two correspond. I think I told a rep here uh, early on in the season, a rep came out for one of the products that we're testing and was digging some roots and he's showing me the pictures he took and of these roots and oh this has got so many more roots and I just looked at him square in the eye and I said you know that's all good and well but roots don't make yield and we'll judge it when the combine goes through yep exactly yeah you and i have seen the same thing it you know we'll see that sometimes with uh different fertility things that we do early in the season you know the stand's a little more even the corn's got a better color it's 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 a little bit taller than the stuff around it but at the end of the season sometimes that makes a difference sometimes it doesn't and that's the nice thing about you taking these to yield putting it all together we don't put any spin on it the data goes together, we put a book, and we hand it to the growers and say, here you go, let's, let's now, discuss it. At this year's events, we plan on, on discussing a little bit of the data that we saw last year and what carries over from last year to this year and, and some of those things that we could expect to see uh, should, should do the same thing year in, year in, year out if it's a solid product. And that's what we hope to, hope to prove. And if products don't repeat themselves, then we got a problem. Right. And and reality hits, right? Like a hammer, just like you had in Norfolk there, you know, that product was working great, you know, June 15th, right before the five feet of water came over the plot, completely flooded out and you get to replant it again. So exactly. All right, let's take a break and uh, switch over, maybe do a little uh, funny farm story. I heard uh, Mick mention earlier, he's got something to share with us. So Tim, I'm helping harvest uh, a friend of mine harvest and it's the end of the season and storms rolling in and and you got a, a lot of things happening and uh, one thing that happened is started slating in the middle of, of combine and corn we figured out in very short order that we couldn't combine going south because the wind was blowing the sleet up and freezing the sieves and so I take a, a truckload to the to the bin site, and while they're in there using a heat gun to to thaw out sieves so that we could keep going, and we did, and at that point in time we made the decision we're only going to combine northbound, which isn't fun at all. And so I get the tr truck dumped, and of course he's hollering on the radio, "Hurry up! Hurry up! Hurry up! Got to have that truck here!" And I'm barreling down the road and. And it's a blacktop road this field's long, and soon I get pop over the hill to come to the field entrance, and I hit the brakes, and brakes don't work on ice, Tim. And I slid past the field entrance, of course, and about put the truck in the ditch. And I'm thinking, why? Why was I hurrying so much? <laughs> because they clearly don't have—they aren't sitting idle waiting for me to dump. But he was wanting me there, so. Needless to say, I had to go a mile down the road to make it to turn around safely and get back to the field. And I almost slid past the driveway again. 
Then we went to turn in the driveway and it's uphill. Well, by the time I got to go up that hill, we ended up taking two pickups to pull us up the hills. So, <laughs> uh, ice and, and harvest is a real thing, and and especially when it's that last field of the season, it uh, it gets to be fun. Harvest and dragging something through the mud and snow and uphill—that just goes together. It exactly. Like. All right. So let's return to the fertility of our plots. As we think back a little bit through the different products that we have chosen for this year, um, what's your thoughts on those, Mick? I mean, we, we talk about Mez has been a great product for CVA, so that's one more reason we include that in our plots. And we like to talk about, you know, how those, those phosphorus products like MAP and Mez work both in a higher fertility and a lower fertility environment. What's your thoughts on the micronate trans? Certainly, if we have everything right for, on our base fertility, then we can move on to, as you and I've discussed multiple times, we can move on to those micronutrients. And uh, it'll be interesting with the low, lower fertility site this year, will those micronutrients bring anything to the table? The one thing we did a little different this year is we made sure that we balanced our application of all products across the board to the same NNP level across every product. Uh, we thought about going out to S, out to sulfur. Uh, you get out there and you start playing with a lot of these micronutrient blends or packages have sulfur in them. And it, so if we did that, then we'd have to really play with things and be playing with small amounts. So uh, we thought it was best not to mess with the sulfur as much of there. Uh, potassium wasn't a big concern on any of our, any of our locations. Uh, we have one product in the mix that has, uh, I think it's five pounds of K in it. Yeah. So we didn't we didn't balance for that five pounds of K across all treatments, but the N and P are, are completely balanced. So it'll really separate the men from the boys. I like to say when we get to that lower lower fertility environment to see if that consistency follows through into that. One thing I like about your uh, soil fertility trials or your fer your fertilizer trials is you've got a great way to deliver in a in a small area and to a very exact uh, both spatial and and volume uh, with that uh, ETS soil warrior tool. So talk about that just a little bit. So the ETS soil warrior that we use is we actually use a plot warrior is what it's called, but it's a smaller scale version of of their big system and so it's only four rows we don't need the horsepower to pull it we can use the same tractor to plant with and to strip till and so it's got rolling cultures on the front it blows the fertilizer down between that and then rolling cultures behind that with a rolling basket that incorporates it so it would be very very similar to a disc field a little bit different than a, than a no-till field because we're not just sitting on the surface, but we're mixing it in the soil. But we can always correlate that back to what we would be doing with setting it on the surface. And if a grower is interested in that piece of equipment, you uh, have one at the Innovation Events this year, Yes. Right? Actually, we plan on having the plot wire at the Innovation Events along with uh, ETS will be bringing a full-size piece of equipment to all the Innovation Events. And, you know, for a guy who might have some interest in strip-till, and I talk to guys about strip-till a lot, especially if they're in a real high pH environment, that that's a way to kind of limit some of that contact of fertilizer product with the soil when your soil really wants to tie things up. 
Um, it also does a good job of mixing that fertility in kind of a band so it's not too concentrated because sometimes when we band some of our fertility, we worry about, well, is that going to cr create issues with seed germination? Am I going to get root burn? That kind of thing. But it seems to do a pretty good job of, of balancing out, getting the nutrients together in a tight band, but keeping the band wide enough so hopefully you don't have any burn issues. Exactly. All right, well, we'll wrap it up there. This is Tim Mundorf with Central Valley Ag along with Mick Godekin. Next time, we're going to talk a little bit again about those innovation trials. But we're going to switch over and talk more about the biological side. It's, it's related to fertility, but it's overall soil biology and its interaction with the plant. We'll talk about some of the things that we're doing there. Mick, when again are those innovation events coming up for our growers? Once again, those events are August 13th at Cuba, Kansas, August 15th at Norfolk, Nebraska, and August 20th at Polk, Nebraska. Thank you for joining us today on Soil Talk. If you'd like to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter at ACS by CVA. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Central Valley Ag. If you'd like more information, visit cvacoop.com, and you can see our precision-focused blog videos every Thursday. With Soil Talk, this is Tim Mundorf.